fascinated with families, uh, probably because we came from some sort of family, possibly. Maybe, uh, maybe some of us were adopted, uh, but hopefully we've made it into some family. But the truth is, is we're fascinated by families because uh, we have a yearning for a family. We have a yearning and we see brokenness in our own families, and we also have shame and guilt about the families that we come from. Sometimes it's hard to admit some of the true characteristics that are in our families. I think that's why we're fascinated with TV families, because we're looking at them and we're, you know, we're like, Gene Simmons' family, uh, maybe I don't relate to that. Ozzy Osbourne's family or the Kardashians or um, Malcolm in the Middle. I mean, maybe you're the middle child. Uh, but we look at, at culture. My family, I was thinking about this yesterday, uh, of TV families, we're probably a mix of like uh, Reverend Run's family from Run, Run DMC because we have rapping and rap music going on in the house all the time and the Duggars. There's 50 million kids there, so it's just like a rap and hip-hop-a-thon at our family. But, um, but as we think about uh, families, uh, for, there was a time I actually like, thought that like, a mafia family was cool. I actually like, thought, wow, I wonder what that'd be like. When I was younger, I used to think, what would it be like to be in a mafia family? I mean, that family never lets you go. They... They pull you back in, even if you are trying to leave the family. But they have this loyalty to the family. And they seem that uh, through, even through blood, that you're in that family. And once you're in that family, uh, you're in. And you're, you get made. Like, people recognize you. And there's identity in that family. And, there, and then there's power in those families. You kind of look at that, and you're like, okay... We all know, like, that's twisted. Maybe we don't know, but that's twisted. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's twisted. I just want to say, I know that that's twisted. But the deal is, is you look at a powerful family. Have you ever looked at another family? Maybe a, across the street from your family house, or you just knew somebody that you were on a, a team or out in the community, and you looked at that family and you admired that family? Maybe yours was, was that family. And maybe people even thought your family was the perfect family. Maybe other people had high expectations of your family. But deep down, I think we know, like, human family, it disappoints. We've been talking a lot about family just uh, over the years in Red Sea and and we talk about the ways and the things that we also substitute for families or substitute for, for good fathers. Um, you know, when we, have, when we take our human fathers and that becomes our lens to power or authority or leadership and we see all the cracks in that, we see that our, our parents have let us down. Our, our parents compared to the mothering and the fathering that God can do in our life, we see that, that there's quite a discrepancy. But sometimes what we do is, when we come from a broken lens, what we do is we still continue to view God that way, through that broken lens. And we go, well, this is the only way I see father. This is the only way I see mother or nurturing. Or uh, how could you be the authority or uh, the head of, of the family, God? It's, I have a hard time seeing through that. 
And so we sit a little bit and we groan, but we know and we long to belong in a functioning family. And so, uh, you know, when you begin to, to discover who God is, you start to see a functioning family and the Father and the Son and the way that the Father and Son interact. And hopefully our lens begins to become uh, renewed and restored and redeemed. So we begin to see how the Father and the Son uh, have the power of the Holy Spirit that binds them in a relationship. And so that's, that's a different power than that mafia power. It's not, a, it's not a shame, a guilt, or a threat. It's actually built on love and trust and vulnerability and a plan. And then, after we see the way Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are family, we see that we're invited into that family. And if you didn't know that today, I want you to know, like, there's a whole bunch to this story, that how God loves families, and how there's a rhythm of you belonging, getting to be a brother or a sister, or an older brother, older sister, or a spiritual father, or a spiritual mother. And it's something that, uh, that is supposed to be able to happen within the faith community, but a lot of times we're busy being church more than we ever discover what it actually means to be a spiritual family. Nod your head if you, if you think you've seen the difference between a church and spiritual family. Yeah. That's also a heartbreak because you show up thinking, I heard that there's a spiritual family. I heard that there's a place I can be as I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm comfortable. I can, be, I can be myself. And then all of a sudden you find out that there's, there's other false human rules in that. And so the one thing I want to point out to you is, is it's a great discovery to find out not only that are you in God's family, but how God's family really functions. What does it really function like with leadership and, and family-ship? What, what does that look like? And that's a journey you want to be on because what happens is you find out that you have more in common in God's spiritual family than the characteristics we named earlier, than from the family that we came from. That when we are seen in Christ... He calls it an heir. We're heirs to this kingdom. That when you find out you're an heir, you have so much incredibly in common with another heir that you'll find out it's eternal. And that the characteristics are so vast. And right now, I may be even talking over somebody's head going, What? Okay, so you receive something, I'm an heir, there's a possibility that I'm a part of a royal family, but I don't, I've never really seen that happen. And the people that act like they're in God's family, they seem to be arrogant at times. They seem to be very put off by the messiness of my life. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that I've done that to you. I've brought some of my brokenness into God's family. How about you? Where do we sludge along and we take our biological, our family of origin mess and we drag into God's family? We do. But we have to realize that there's a higher standard, that there's a greater power that God wants to heal us in those, the bad lens that we have of the way that we do family and the way we power trip everybody. Think of your last reunion if you were able to even have one. You're like, I think this is supposed to be a fortunate thing, but I know that Aunt Sally's talking about my mom again. Or whatever's happening, you're like, ah, 
There's tension in me and in God's family as well. But we have the gospel. And so today, I want to look a little bit about what we have in the family of God. And see what some of the results of the cross of Jesus as God draws his family together. I want to remind you of, uh, actually I want to ask you, instead of reminding you, I'll just ask you, uh, can you name some families in the story of God as we see from Genesis to Revelation? What are some families that you see? Name some of those families. Probably by the patriarch, you may say, like Noah's family. You know, and that was a leading question. I set myself up for that. Very good. Can I take you to lunch after the gathering? Jacob's family. Abraham, Joseph's family. Ruth's family. You see any tension in any of those families? Adam and Eve. What's that? King David's family. Any tension in that family? Between father and son? Yeah, there's tension. There's, um, there seems to be a lack of blessing at times. There seems to be a dark cloud over some of these families. Yet, throughout Genesis, we see family after family after family. And, and if you read Genesis, and we've said this many times, they look like they could be on a reality show throwing chairs at each other. If they were there, if they were on Oprah or Dr. Phil or Springer or whatever, you just see these dysfunctional families over and over again. But God keeps saying, I'm going to deliver the world through my family, Trinity, but I have chosen to bless a guy named Abraham and his family. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless many nations, right? And so we see over and over and over again that that God wants to bless all of the people on the earth through his family. And we see that it's through the family of Abraham, but we see that the seed of Abraham is Jesus. We see all through the family line that it comes down to Jesus. We see that family after family that we read about gets down to this little, poor, young family, Joseph and Mary, and they have their son. And that the seed of Abraham and the great multitudes and the great blessing that God wants to bring on the earth is coming through and is, is truly happening. God's promise and his covenant to Abraham and the blessing through that family comes to us through Jesus. And so, uh, Paul is, is writing here in Romans. Let's go to Romans 8. And uh, we'll look, let's just look at verse... Actually, let's look at verse 1 just for the heck of it. And then we'll look at the last verse as well just to show you where we're, we're at. Many people believe that Romans 8, if... if if reading the scriptures is like going through a story or, or climbing a mountain, that the very pinnacle, the very peak of the story, many theologians think, is Romans 8. Romans 6, 7, and 8 are this, 
this escalade up to this climactic spot where God's very clear about what has happened in the gospel. He talks about as we've changed, Ephesians 2 talks a lot about this too, as we've come from being an enemy of God, we come into a sonship, a daughtership. As we come into the family, we're transformed. We're made alive by the Spirit, and then we have a place in God's family. And then we're seen, we get to see here in Romans what that family's like. And we get to see that we end up in God's glory, where the family, the greatest of all family re- reunions come. And we get to see just how much we were hidden in Jesus, just how much the power of the Holy Spirit was dwelling in us here. We'll see that in full revelation. Let me just ask you just an interesting question, maybe, for your mind is. Have you considered lately, and maybe you've done it a thousand times, but how lately have you considered that, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? And when was the last time that you were in touch? Was it, was it during some worship or was it during some scripture time this week? But do you, do you feel secure in God's family if you consider yourself to be in God's family? Do you know that? We'll talk a little bit about that. But the first uh, line in Romans 8, just to give you a tiny, tiny uh, piece of glitter of, of Romans, is it says this in the very first verse. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He starts out by saying, There's nothing on you. Because of Jesus you're not sitting in, in, eventually in the family as a shamed black sheep. It's not a, here's what you've been doing. This is what you've been done. You get over there. No, now that you're in Christ Jesus, you're free. He just starts right out the top. He says, there's no condemnation. Now look at the very last verse of chapter 8. It says this. Uh, it probably not even fair to do that without doing 38 and 39. We'll do 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, no depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he starts out, and he's being really extremely clear here. He says, the very first verse is, there's no condemnation. You're completely off the hook. Think about all these celebrities right now, like uh, Lindsay Lohan. She's back in court. Go figure. Really stinks. Can you imagine being her right now, being condemned? And somebody saying, there's no condemnation. There's none. Right now, there's no charges up against you. A woman in North Carolina last week delivered her baby into a toilet and left. What if she was to be told there's no condemnation? A 21-year-old in Philadelphia last week was, uh, has been charged with being a serial murderer and doing terrible things to his victims before he killed them. Can you imagine of hearing no condemnation? And there is a part of us that says that's not fair. No, there has to be a justice. The righteousness of Jesus has been imputed in exchange for our sin, for our killing ways, for our dishonoring ways, for our stealing ways, for our covetousness, 
for all of the ways that we violate what we sang about, a good, right, and perfect God, for all of the ways that we offend the character of who God is and what he's done for us, he says there's no common. The thing you need to know about being in God's family is that it's free. It's free entry, and you are free. We forget that over and over and over again. And we walk back into God's family bringing our shame and our guilt and our broken lenses. And we hurt each other and we allow ourselves to be hurt. And God says there's no condemnation. Therefore, in my family, God says, in my house, we will not be condemning each other. You are free in Christ. How important is that to hear? Let's skip up to verse 12, and we're gonna, we'll look a little bit uh, and close into the chunk of, uh, of chapter 8. It, the whole chapter is about having life in the Spirit, being empowered by the Spirit of God, by walking away from your flesh and understand that the dead does not dwell in you anymore, that you're not a dead man or a dead woman walking. That whole first section, the first verse 1 through 12, talks about you're leaving that away. You're not walking as a dead person. A dead person has no hunger for God. A a cadaver is not breathing in the breath of God. A, A dead person has no sensory towards who God is. But when life comes to you in the spirit, you're no longer that walking cadaver. You're now spiritually attuned and you understand that the spirit dwells in you. What do you think of that? No, seriously, what, what do you think of that? What do you think of that? The Spirit of God. We're singing the song like, hey, God made all the stars with his fingers, and it was really cute. It was a big daytime project he did, and he's splitting water from land, and he's doing all of these things, and he breathes his ruach, his, his breath, his pneuma, into the breath of life. He creates these families and we get this rhythm and we start to see this multiplication and then here we are dwelling on the earth and God has never forgotten you that he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us and he's saying, you're alive. It's tremendous. Tremendous good news. The gospel's called good news as what came through Jesus being crucified, dying and then being rose again. We see the power of the resurrection. It means that life the spirit of life that's in you is the one that resurrected Jesus Christ. That's the dwelling place that we have. <laughs> it's hard to wrap our heads around that because that's the actual reality that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and the power that raised Jesus from, the de- from death will be raised in you. And Romans talks about that coming to full fruition where we're raised just like Jesus was right before and placed firmly into the presence of the family of God in heaven for good. And this is supposed to be a foretaste of it is us getting involved with each other's lives, of us understanding the way the Spirit moves and directs. Maybe right now you're going, I don't know if I have the Spirit. Well, let's ask... You guys, how would you know that the Holy Spirit is in your life and that that you have the Spirit of God? What are some signs of that? You feel it? You sense it? Waking up in the middle of the night? Growing? 
Yeah, growing. You're maturing. The word that the, the scripture here says, uh, son, and we're going to read it, that we've become sons, it's huos, which means maturing son. So that's great. That the Holy Spirit, all, automatically when the Spirit is given to you, it, it's wanting to connect with you in order for you to grow. What are some other ways that you see the Spirit in your life? Reconciliation, the power once again to do something that your flesh wouldn't want to do because it's hard. Peace. Jesus says that before he's, uh, that's one of his interactions is peace be with you. He says a couple times to his disciples, like operate out of peace. That means get set with the Spirit. If you've got the Holy Spirit, the one that resurrected Jesus, then I don't think anything else is going to waver your life. Even if your physical life is taken, you can have peace and operate in that peace. Forgiveness. How much forgiveness? Seven times 70? Like a whole lot of forgiveness. Like knowing that you're forgiven. Decide first. Validation. Confirmation of your identity. Confirmation of who you are. Confidence that if you have the Holy Spirit and it was given to you because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you've been covered by the blood, that you can come into the Father's presence now because you're seen as holy and blameless and he's exchanged his righteousness for your sins, that you are validated. The Holy Spirit will go, you're good, you're good. Because sometimes we're like, really? feels really holy here. Really, God? I'm reading this and I'm not, I'm finding out that I'm not measuring up to what you wanted the whole time. That's fine. You're good. Keep coming. Sanctification. So, and one other over here. Motivated. Motivated. What is the fo- where does the focus for our lives come from? The Holy Spirit aligns our focus with things of above. One of the jobs that we read in, in Romans 8, actually, is that there's a renewing of our minds in, in Romans. That there's a renewing of our minds. That there's a new heart set. Our motivation is to please God. When you, so these are some, if you heard this room, and you hear this in missional communities as well, as you start to travel and get to be in real conversations, not these big gatherings, but as you get into smaller settings, you'll get to speak and go, you know what? Sometimes it's not even the answers people give. Sometimes you'll look at somebody else's life and you'll go, uh, they weren't acting like that six months ago. That must be the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the gospel to, to transform So some of you are sitting here going, wow, that power is available to me, but I feel like I'm not doing anything about it. And I still feel out of touch with that spirit. God's not freaking out. I want you to know God's not freaking out. But I I would ask you this. Would you be willing to continue to allow yourself to come before scriptures and to come before and to be with other believers so that perhaps that God could use them to speak to you further, but that you don't need to be depressed or worried, that you don't have that, that yet, 
but that, that there is a baptism of the Spirit that comes to you when you do believe. And if you're a believer that says, I believe in Jesus Christ, but you're out of touch with the Spirit, would you be praying for that? Would you be praying that, that God would, would make you sensitive again, once again, to his Spirit? How are we living our lives without the power of God? Because here's the deal. Once you come into the family, you're a marked family member. Satan's got snipers, and and Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy from you. If you don't have the power, you're very unprotected. If you don't have the armor of Christ on. You see how it ups the ante of what it means to be in the family? Let's read verse 12, Romans 8. So then, brothers, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness. We've already heard that in the room, didn't we? With our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. So he's saying we go from enemy to sonship, has, have your parents ever come for you when you were in distress, little guy all the way up, even as an adult? Have you ever found yourself in a deficit? Maybe it's financial and your, your parents, they initiate, hey, I, I was noticing maybe you need some money. Or my dad one time when I ran away, I ran away from his house and I went to my girlfriend's place and crazy rebel boy. I'm there upstairs in the bedroom, and uh, I'm sleeping, and it's like 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning. All of a sudden, I hear a knock, 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 and my whole car is packed up. I'm a teenager. I'm like, forget my dad. Forget my stepmom. And uh, I hear this knock, knock, knock. Hi, my name is Phil Garman. Is my son Sean here? I can hear down the window. I'm his father. I've come to get him. Something in the depth of me just said, that's awesome. I'm wanted. That's awesome. I totally flipped my parents off and said every terrible thing I could have to them, and they still came and got me. Some of us are waiting for God still to come get us because we've been running, but we don't know that he has been there the whole time. And if we really take a countenance, if we really put ourselves in a place and a spot to reflect, we'll see that God's been there all along. He's been searching for you. God's family is the search and rescue team. We're the ones who get the privilege to tell somebody, you're no longer an enemy if you believe this good news of who Jesus Christ is. You are welcome to come into the family 
nothing goofy, nothing weird, not a cult, not a freak show, not governed by man, but governed by the Father who loves you. Welcome. And then he says, we're born of God, that we've been spiritually birthed, birthed into a new family. And remember in John 3, this is how you, this is what happens when we believe in Jesus, we're rebirthed. And that's a, it takes a bad hit in society, like, are you a born again? Freaky weirdo. You a born again? I bet you're weird. You're a born, I heard you were born again. Hear all the caution in their voice? I heard you were born again. To be born again means to be born of the Spirit. It's not physical, it's nothing weird, it's something wonderful. That God's come into your life, (laughs) that God's changing your heart, that there's a new position that that you have spiritually in Jesus Christ that's, that's of a perfect nature because God is perfect and so he's dwelling in you. It doesn't make your personality perfect. doesn't make you perfect in who you are as you live, but God is perfecting you and changing you. To be born again means, I, I need to be born again. It means that you're saved. God saved your death life and gave you new life. That's new life. That's why you're a baby Christian. But here's the deal, you guys. In the scriptures, and if you look in 1 Corinthians, and we may have time to go there, probably not. But the deal is, is, is when he's speaking in 1 Corinthians, I think, 4, he's speaking about a maturing, like they're spiritual mothers and fathers. So I need you to hear this right now, okay? I need you to hear that it's not okay just to sit in the family and to have mommy and daddy's diapering you at 26 years old. At 31 years old. It's that the process was always, hey, you're an adopted son. You've come out and you get the full rights and the full heir of the kingdom. And he's saying the, the first thing that's implied in the scripture is that you're going to mature. But what? think about this, and, and I'm not trying to hurt you here, but I want you to hear this. Some of you have not learned how to be potty trained spiritually. Some of you still need to be fed all of the time by a sermon as opposed to your Father and His Word and the Holy Spirit that's dwelling in you. Some of you are looking to get filled up all the time and always be fed. Now, if you're new to the faith, that's a natural place for you to be. But sometimes God's house is filled with a bunch of people that are being babysat by leaders. Sometimes the leaders are going, come on, would you do this? Please do this. It's like my kids are laughing because it's like the household, right? <laughs> Sorry. They're, I'll get, they're mad at me now. Okay. But, but the deal is, is, is the way that we plea, we go, would you please clean up your room? And there's something in the kid that, that eventually knows, I got you. I've got some power here. And sometimes there's that power here. Where it's like, you know, when a leader is asking you to live biblically and to grow and to participate, you're supposed to participate. You're supposed to be maturing. You're not supposed to just come to the gathering and sit back and do the minimal amount that's required. That's not having life in the spirit. That is life in the flesh. 
Oh, this is what's good for me. You know what the biggest enemy of living in the Spirit is? Comfort. My comfort. I'll tell you how it's going to go with me, bucko. I'll tell you, Pastor Joe. I'll tell you how it's going to go with me. I'm dictating how it goes. If you're dictating your own spiritual life, you're not under or surrendered to the Spirit or the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And what he has found as nourishment and good for you, you're rejecting like a baby in a, in a high chair that does the back spring. Like, here comes the peas. Here's the applesauce. You know, I had seven of those. It's like, do I know how to feed a kid? Or is this kid rebellious? Or, hey, I'll stop trying to feed you and I'll put the plate in front of you. We have this funny relationship going in God's family, but there's an implied part that says, do you know what God has done for you? Do you know that you are an heir with Christ, which we could spend all day on, saying you've received the benefits of the Son of God? You are seen in that age. Now, seated at the, on the throne... And you are the same heir as Jesus Christ, yet spiritually, because you believe in him. But he's, he's showing them and showing us there's a huge discrepancy if you're being babysat down there on earth when you're supposed to be the family that teaches culture and teaches the city of Portland what it means to be a real family. And it doesn't mean your last name family has to have it all together. It means that you're participating in the spiritual family. And Jesus really messes with that when he shows us that he has an allegiance to the gospel of family more than he does a biological family. There's some major tension in that. His family is more important than your family. He says, in fact, in a house of five, three may be against two or two may be against three as those who follow in the way. And then he even pushes even further and says, who's your real daddy, the devil or the father in heaven? He's constantly pushing and pushing into you. Are you really following and being in the family of God? But if you are an heir to Christ, do you act as though you've received that by grace? Or do you think you deserved it? And therefore, you'll be as as comfortable as you'd like here when it's our only time for mission. This is the time where the Father wants to use us to speak to the culture to say, come into the family. Oh no, I don't want to mature. I don't have anything to say. I don't want to be used. Okay, let's figure that out. I'm not here to shame you or get all uptight or, or lord over you, but I want to bring that up because I think that's the way that it's written. I think God's saying, let's grow together. You really need to show up. You really need to think about how you'll do that. And you may go, well, my schooling's more important than that. No, it's not more important than God's family. Nothing is. We have to figure out how to be a family together. There's an epidemic, if you haven't noticed, of fatherlessness. The whole world has literal father issues, and the whole world has daddy issues with him. 
Start to listen this week and hear about the brokenness of the way we, in different generations, view authority, different generations view loyalty, the way different generations view family. There's pros and cons of them all. I could say if you were born from uh, ten, the year 1910 to 1930, you'd be, you're very loyal and you're, these are the, the people that went to World War II for us and they're, they're, they're hard-charged and they're, they're streamlined, but their children, those who were born in for maybe from late 30s, 40s, up to uh, 50s, late 50s, they don't trust authority. They want to drop out and do things their own way. We see that there's all these generations that are pouring in here, right? And then there's my generation from the 60s to the 80s, and uh, they're the me generation. And they're the capitalists, and, and they do all of these other things, and, and, and then there's the postmoderns, the generation now, like if you've been born from the 80s to the 2000s, then you have your own characteristics, but God's bringing this family together so it's multicultural and multigenerational because he's for all nations, but we all have our own issues and backgrounds based off of biological family and even when we were born. But God's calling us in and saying there are these, there are there's this issue that the father longs to solve for you to be reconciled to the family, not based off of excuses or, or false worldly variables that keep you from functioning as a beautiful family, of knowing God and knowing how loved you are. What we need, Galatians talks about this, but we need to know how loved we are. If you know how loved you are, nothing else will matter. I want to give you an example. I was raking, oh, it wasn't, it was probably 18 months ago. I'm raking out in my, uh, my yard tons and tons of leaves. And I got me and my boys out there, and we're, I'm like, this is how you be a man, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just goofing off, and I'm, we're, we're doing this big raking and putting it on the tarp and taking it back to this big pile, and we're doing all this raking, and all of a sudden, through the bushes, comes our neighbor, and he looks through there. His name's Harlem. And uh, Harlem's a little African-American guy. He's probably 12 at the time. So he, he looks through there and he's like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, raking and uh, arguing probably um, about work. And uh, so he comes around and he goes, hey, can I do it? And we're like, sure. Do you have a rake? And he's like, yeah. So he goes and he gets a rake. Then he brings his other buddy that was spending the night at his house and uh, they just start raking with us. And I'm like, this is a bonus. This is awesome. Free child labor. This is politically incorrect. But anyway, so the child labor keeps moving along and cleaning my yard. I'm like, tremendous. And uh, so we're, we're working. And then all of a sudden, I go in to get some water. And uh, I think, oh, yeah, it would be kind of cool to, like, inspire these guys to do do some work. So I'll pay him a little bit. So I'm like, uh, hey, Harlem. And I give him like three bucks. I had like nothing, right? And then his buddy was really not working, but, uh, but was still hanging out. So I gave him like two bucks or something. And I'm like, hey, thanks a lot, you guys. And it was like 20 minutes of work. And, uh, but just wanted to inspire him. And he doesn't have a dad. And uh, so just like, okay, you know, I want to show him a little bit of work and that it's valuable and there's some payoff and all this. And um, about an hour later, we're, finished, we're still raking, 
And he comes back over, and um, I, I can hear his mom's over by the footsteps and, and uh, just over these arbovitas, and she's over there, and he comes back around, and he starts doing some more work, and I go, I go, dude, I go, you're good. I go, you're good. And then his mom comes around, and she goes, and she looks at me kind of like, duh. And, I, and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to receive here? Did I screw something out? And uh, she goes, he's not doing it for the money. He's doing it to hang out with you. Right in front of her boy. She goes, they just want to hang out with you. People just want to hang out in the family. People just want to be taught and loved. People are desiring to be approved of, to be told of what their real identity in Jesus Christ is. They really are. And we can go out and drink beers and ride fixies and, and talk and act and be just like our city. We can recycle. We can do everything and embrace our city. But if our city never gets to hear, hey, there's a family for you that's even better than these community values or even better than this kickball league that we're in or, or whatever, whatever form of community. Our, our city calls it community. It's too politically incorrect for them to actually say, I'd like to be in a family. That'd even be better than community. Community is even not even quite the values I'm looking for. So today, as we've come to worship, as we've come to see that the Father had a plan to redeem us, I want you to think about how will you expose people to the family of God? How will they really get to experience what it means to be, what it means to be treated as a family member? Harlem's Mom, the, the kid who came over to rake for me, um, she needs a brother and sister often. She comes to our house at really odd times and, and has us watch her daughter when she has 104 degree temperature. And, and I've gone to look for her in bars at 2 in the morning before. She's hard to be a brother for sometime. I'm going to be honest with you. I need to testify in a trial because her boyfriend uh, beat her so bad that she's gone blind and he broke one of her eye sockets. It's, it's really hard to be her brother. I'm sure your brothers and sisters that are living next to you are not easy to be with. But there's a story that God wants to hear about being in the family. And if you're really a family member and you know that you've been born of God, and that you've been reborn, and that the Holy Spirit resides in you, will you ask him to give you the power to be his family? Because you can't do it on your own. You don't want to do it on your own. And we don't want to grow. And you can't fabricate the growth. You actually have to be a part of the family and to hear how the family's going and what's happening in the family. That God uses the very issues in the Red Sea family to grow you. Do you know that right where we're at right now is, are actually God's challenges for us to grow? 
that God's plan is still the same, that he wants to multiply through the family, that he wants these seats filled up, that he wants people excited to come into the family setting. And so we need to figure out how we're going to engage in that. And the first place we engage is God says, his kindness, the way that he treats us, leads us to repentance. And when we repent, we come to the communion table. We come to Jesus. We come throughout the week and we say, Lord, I haven't been growing. You know what, Lord? You know my household. My household is a mess. I don't know how I can be a part of God's family and be a participant in God's family when I feel so overwhelmed at my house. Do you know that the original language is really not uh, God's family? Do you know it's really God's household? That the word house entails like whoever's in the house is family. And at that time, I mean, it was scandalous at times because culture would invade it and people would be unholy. But those who were in the house even included concubines or slaves or multiple wives. But the deal is, is that God has always said, come as you are, even in your messed up, broken state, repent of what you know and what I'm telling you is wrong and what you're not giving to me. And see that my son has been broken and beat and died at the cross for those discrepancies and, the, and your behavior in the family. And to know that I forgive you. That you are so sound and secured in your identity with me that I forgive you. And, and what do we learn? Who God is what he has done. Who God is, is he's your father that forgives you through the son. He sent the son to reunite with his children so that we can be in the family in full heirs. That should change our disposition and the way that we live. If we consider that, that may even change our hearts and we'll have a renewing of our hearts. But Jesus died on the cross so that we have the opportunity to come to the Father. Do you know what the Father's called, right? In the scripture we just read, it says, and my friend Quinn says this all the time. He says, Abba, Father. He says, Daddy. Grown men saying, Daddy. Because that's security. When we come here, we can say, I see what, what you've done by sending your son, and your son was completely obedient to your mission. And we get to experience and engage in this through his blood and be forgiven. And after that forgiveness happens, do you know what our hearts almost should say? What next, Papa? You may have never had a Papa. That may sound too Italian for you. What next, Papa? What do you have for me, Lord? You have forgiven me. And you have sent the son to die for me. What next, Papa? You can never doubt that he's never going to leave you, forsake you. He's not going to hurt you. He will not shame you. Now is no time for condemnation. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God, right? So let's come boldly, confidently, by the Spirit of God, 
to repentance because we have a gentle father who wants to place us in his family. How's that for good news? Hope you're overwhelmed with his goodness right now. I am. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for placing us in your family, God. (laughs) So radical. The God of the universe has found a place in his home and his household for us. Lord, you're calling your children to yourself. And Lord, by calling them to yourself, you call them through your Son. That no one can get to the Father except through the Son. And so Jesus, we must follow you. And you told us, Jesus, it's a narrow road. Few will travel this family's road. There's full of tension. There's even division in families. There's hostility, Lord. You even said that in order to be an heir, a sign of that heir is that you would suffer before we would ever see the glory. And so, Lord, many of us are suffering for your name. Some of us are not growing in your name. Some of us are refusing to be family, even though we think that we have you. I think that's something we need to be checked on, God. You talk about our deeds in the flesh. So, Lord, we ask for forgiveness for the ways that we're not treating each other as family. We're treating only the people good that we like, that are our favorites. And, God, you're asking us to favor St. John's and favor the city. Lord, I think people come to Red Sea and they go, eh, that's a broken little family. I want to be a part of a big place. Lord, you called us to be a a functioning family, not a Walmart, not a place of customer service. Lord, help us to see that we're not to be served, but we're to be the servants. So God, we repent. We come to the bread and the wine to be forgiven. And we ask that you would continue to lift us up. And we say to you, Papa, what do you have for us in the family business today? How can we talk to the unadopted How can we woo them through your love? How can we serve them without any conditions? I thank you, God, for what you've done for us. We love you, and we look forward to praising you right now. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.